It seems like forever since Penn State took down Illinois in Champaign on Friday night, which was just a really interesting experience that hopefully I don't have to see anytime soon. I'm sure my colleague here, Tyler Donahue, feels the same way. Welcome back, the Reverend Tyler Donahue. How was your weekend? How was your wedding? It went well. The uh, the happy couple is officially wed, and my job is done, and now we're back on the grind in Happy Valley. So when you did this, did you make sure to, to tell them that they were beyond blessed? <laughs> Hashtag yes, I threw the hashtag in there. It was a good time, man. It was uh, did not wilt under pressure, so I was happy with my performance, and uh, more importantly, the groom came through and stuck up there and got married. So uh, all's well that ends well. And you were burning that midnight oil uh, in in champagne, and we were communicating back and forth. And you and Mark were were certainly weathering the storm out there, and it was a wild game. Weathering the storm, the midnight oil burns a little later out in, uh, in central time zone. But uh, Penn State, 63-24, obviously a slow start, as everyone I'm sure that's listening to this watched. Um, got carved up on the ground, also did a little carving of their own. By the way, this is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz, your Tyler Donahue, but everybody knew that already. Uh, we're going to get right into it. We're going to talk Illinois very briefly. I'm uh, going to start with game balls. I don't think there's anywhere you look other than Miles Sanders. He was dominant on Friday night, uh, 200 yards, three touchdowns and he just he just diced them man yeah the only other place you could look is the collective offensive line uh you know 385 rushing yards third most in a big 10 game for this program but miles sanders you know take a bow after that effort his 48 yard touchdown gave them that lead and and started off uh, the six unanswered scores for penn state and got them going so a huge momentum swinger for him in the third quarter, and, and, and he was a beast. Yeah, and he's the guy that wants to give this award to the offensive line. We talked to him afterward, and that's all he did was talk up his offensive line, talk up his teammates. Pretty cool to see. Defense, uh, you know, watching that game, and they made the adjustments as they have all season. It's been really cut, kind of followed the script of the, the 2018 season so far. Got really, um, you know, sort of, as we said before, carved up in the first half, especially running the ball. Um, do, do you give a defensive player of the game? If so, I'm going to go with Jan Johnson. I think there was a couple guys in there. Johnson made the play on the pick. He also had a tackle for loss rate before that, made a couple plays, standing out more than any other linebacker, which you know I think is more indicative of the linebacker play as a whole than it is um, really anything else. Could also throw Garrett Taylor in there, seven tackles, a tackle, for, uh, tackle and a half for loss, or one and a half tackles for loss. I'm not sure how you would word that. Uh, John Sutherland got added reps. He looked pretty decent. Ellis Brooks got the pick at the end. Rob Windsor had a nice stat line, though he can't get pushed around like like he did at times the other night. But yeah, just I don't think there's one guy that really jumps out at you from that game on Friday night. No, I mean, and, and that's what happens when you give up almost two red rushing yards in the, in the first half. There's not a lot of positives to take from that early performance. Um, I, I thought one guy you mentioned, Robert Windsor, while he wasn't a dominant player, um, I thought it was his best game through four games, and it was nice to see him start off Big Ten, making some disruptive plays in the backfield. I think he's going to need to be an, an elevated performer next to Kevin Givens on the defensive interior. Um, speaking with Garrett Taylor on a media call Tuesday morning, uh, he was asked about, can there be an eraser that steps up on defense? He thinks he can be that guy. He thinks there's other guys. But as James Franklin said after the game in Champaign, 
uh, they're still looking for their best 11 defensive players. Yeah, absolutely. And Garrett Taylor, I think, has, has improved a lot in the last month. He's finishing plays, which he really struggled against Appalachian State to, to open the year. Special teams, not a lot going on there. Uh, Raf Cheka up and down, but go with Jake Pinnegar. He's still perfect on PATs. He did miss the field goal. I think the wind really understated factor in this game, just ju- judging from the broadcast or whatnot, but uh, did a solid job on PATs. And, and you might even see Kyle Vasey get some, some special teams player of the week uh, uh, accolades or whatnot from the staff. Yeah, and, and again, you like what you see from from the return game on the punt return. Hamler a seventeen yard return on his only uh, his only opportunity, and then Tompkins averages fifteen yards per return on his two punt return opportunities. Uh, so I, maybe I'll lean a little bit towards that punt return group because they're consistently setting Penn State up with nice field field advantage, and, and we saw that pay off on Friday night. Yeah, that's dangerous back there, man. You got Tompkins, and it's funny because a lot of people want to see Hamler back there because you know he's so explosive, but Tompkins is getting fifteen yards a clip. I mean, it's it, it's really Really, you're in a good situation no matter who is back there, you know. And, and I think moving forward to Ohio State, that's a big factor. You know, if you're if, if these teams are going to punt, which we're not sure if either team is going to punt much, um, that those guys could be a big factor. Like we said, brief recap of Illinois. We're going to talk uh, a little bit more about Ohio State later, a little bit recruiting later. But hey, uh, game on Friday night. The run game was clicking. Miles Sanders looked really good. The offensive line, I think, coming into their own. I think it starts with, with Ryan Bates and, and Stephen Gonzalez on the left side of that line they've they've been phenomenal this year love what you see on the left side there Ryan Bates is playing at a certainly at an all Big Ten level probably can say the same thing for Gonzalez and this is what you kind of were looking for from Penn State through the first month would that continuity pay off on the offensive front with all the returning starters would you see that ability to go and, and be bullies up front and and you know what you couldn't ask for a better performance in the first Big Ten game of the year I know it's Illinois there are larger tests that await specifically this Saturday, but I think you have to have a lot of confidence in the offensive line being a positive uh, aspect of your roster. Yeah, Michael Mennett played his best game to date as well, I thought. Uh, Juwan Johnson took a step in the right direction, made a phenomenal catch on that touchdown. Uh, no drops, um, so I think a definite step in the right direction. You're going to need that going into this week. Juwan Johnson, great to see him get involved uh, and obviously reaching the end zone second time in his career. Uh, the first time was a big one on the road at Iowa. We all know about that situation. But I think to see him, you know, again, it, it, positive steps are, are key. Confidence is a factor. And I think, you know, obviously it wasn't a 150-yard game, but they didn't need that really from a single receiver in this one. And Johnson did what he needed to do when the ball was set in his direction, something that he wasn't really up to task on the first three weeks. I was talking to someone yesterday about the tight ends, um, and it, I really just kind of think – they don't have the talent that the receivers have, but they've been more consistent. And, they, you know, there's there's a lot less, I guess you would say, disappointment in the tight end. So, you know, I think that group that they have right now, of course, Danny Dalton missed the game on Friday night. But John Holland played a lot. Pat, Pat Fryermuth is playing a little bit more every week. Got to see Nick Bowers back, which was good. He really finished off Journey Brown's touchdown run by putting a guy on his back in the end zone. Um, but the, the tight ends, I just think, you know, most pleasant surprise. We talked about it a little bit, I think, a week or two ago. But most pleasant surprise so far, Fryermuth got into the end zone they've been a, a part of the passing game so you got to give a hat tip to the tight end so far yeah good to see Nick Bowers involved obviously we'll see where Danny Dalton is but 
think Pat Fryermuth, uh, you feel really uh, confident in his development, and I think it's big that they've been able to get him these these reps heading into you know the crux of their schedule. He looks like he's really getting involved, and he's he's on the same page with McSorley and the entire offense. I think Holland too, when when called upon, has shown that he can you know pick up big chunks of yards. You know that fumble really tough to put that 100 percent on John Holland. You got to give some credit where credit is due on the hit, um, not the way he wanted to start it. But I think he's shown you know he can find a seam pick up 20, 25 yards, and, and he's more of the vertical threat in this group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned Fryermuth, another freshman, Ricky Slade. They've leaned on a little bit more with Mark Allen out. I think we continue to see a lot of Ricky Slade, and, and you saw what kind of home run ability he has. He was a 61-yard touchdown there. So um, Ricky Slade, really good. Trace McSorley, uh, you know, he, he, he had a few mistakes that were sort of uncharacteristic, you know, held up, slid early, and then had a tackle for loss where he just looked uh, indecisive through the pick downfield to Brandon Polk that shouldn't have been thrown but in the end I mean you, you know what you're getting out of Trace he was, a, he was a threat running the ball throwing the ball I thought made some better decisions in the RPO this week and and I think you know he's your guy you got to lean on him going into this week and that's not anything that's not anything that somebody doesn't know that's listening to this I mean so I mean it, Trace is Trace you're going to get a little bit of bad but you're going to get mostly good yeah, and just observing, you know, his approach against Illinois, I thought it was more assertive as a runner. Uh, I thought, as you mentioned, the reads were there um, for a high percentage of those. He, he hit on the right read. Um, and yeah, Trace McSorley, look, he, he, as long as he's not throwing three interceptions a game, which I, I don't think I've seen him do the last couple of years, uh, you know, he's a good ball, good ball security for the most part. And he's a guy that just, you know, he's making sure everyone's on the same page. He's dealing with the youth movement. And he's the guy who's the ringleader of it. And I think they've come out the other end of this first portion of the schedule, um, probably ahead of schedule where I thought they'd be overall on the offense. Yeah, switching over to defense, we said there were three things they had to do last week. They had to avoid the, you know, they had to win the turnover battle. Um, they had to avoid the trick play, and they had to stop the run. I don't think they accomplished all of those things, especially in the first half. Um, you know, it, it just. I think defensive linemen it was so similar to the pit game, and, and I think we said that last week too that it was it was going to be you know sort of a carbon copy that Illinois was going to run at them you know in a little different style because Kenny Pickett's not the guy that's going to pull it as much as uh, the Illinois quarterback. But I mean, it's just one of those things: defensive linemen getting so far upfield, exposing that second level, and that second level isn't where it needs to be right now. Yeah, that was that was alarming, obviously, uh, especially when you give up 170 rushing yards in the first half. They had come off a nice six-quarter stretch where they were limiting teams to under two yards per carry against Kent State, the second half against Pitt. But that's now bookended by 200 yards on the ground in the first half versus Pitt, 170 yards on the ground in the first half against Illinois. We know they tightened things up in the second half there, but thought it was also not great. Uh, I thought MJ Rivers looked a little too comfortable. I think this Penn State defense going up against, uh, you know, uh, a first-year quarterback, a true freshman, I know they're playing a conservative approach in protecting their quarterback, but for him not to turn the ball over until I think it was deep into the third quarter and Jan Johnson's interception would have been great to see them produce a turnover. I just think when you have an opportunity to really get after a first-year quarterback like MJ Rivers in that kind of setting, um, maybe look a little bit more authoritative doing that if you're a defense that's going to be capable of going out and winning the Big Ten championship. Yeah, and we've seen what happens to Penn State when they don't get pressure on that quarterback, when they don't make him make some mistakes. And and to be honest with you, some of those passes the other night should have been picked. Uh, Tariq Castro-Fields um, knocked one down that should have been a pick. He threw a couple flutter balls up uh, that, that should have been fielded by someone. But I think the picks are there. It's just a matter of getting them. 
them. One thing in the back four that you didn't like, John Reed just does not look like the old John Reed. Uh, just really looked hesitant. They pulled him for a bit. Donovan Johnson got hurt, didn't look good on the, the shoulder or whatnot. So had to put Reed back in there. And that's that's going to be a test for Penn State this week. I mean, you, you need to know which John Reed's going to show up. No, it's huge. I mean, Haskins has been, you know, precision has been a strong suit for him. And he's a guy who's going to come out and try to make a big statement and carve up Penn State secondary. And we'll see where Donovan Johnson is. Obviously, it seemed like a pretty significant situation for him. Uh, John Reed, uh, you know, you'd love to see this be a bounce back game for him. You'd like to think that he's he's making the right steps uh, behind the scenes to prepare himself. Um, the rust is certainly still showing. Uh, and then, you know, Tariq Castro Fields left the field for a bit. I think that's a imperative to have him uh, at the top of his game, if not close to the top of his games, because uh, like I said, Ohio State, uh, they have shown uh, a willingness to let Dwayne Haskins air the ball out, and it's been an extremely successful approach through four weeks. And one thing you forgot to mention, yes, I did call the trick play coming last week, and yes, they did run it, and Penn State not prepared. Anyway, moving on to Ohio State, obviously 4-0, top five team coming in for the whiteout, 7-30 on ABC on, on Saturday night. Going to be a big one. That's not news to anybody, but here's the thing. After, after dumping on Penn State's defense for the last five minutes or whatnot, Ohio State's not invincible either. And that's, I think that's something that's hard to, to get across. Everybody on this that's listening to this podcast watches so much of Penn State, dices so much of what's going on, and, and you think you, you think you know the team, and, and the, the sort of the textbook has been the same. It's been a, a quick start. It's been a lull. It's been a defensive letdown in the first half. It's been adjustments made, and it's been a lot of points at the end. Well, that's fine. Ohio State's been been a little different. They've looked a little bit more dominant, a little consistent, more consistently. But at the same time, there's there's issues there too. I think you look at the holes in the back seven. Uh, the safety playing opposite Jordan Fuller has been an issue for them. They've given up some big plays in the passing game, and obviously, um, Trace McSorley is going to try to expose that. I think go downfield, take some shots, use the atmosphere to your advantage, and, and and get some points on the board that way. Linebackers, you know, in a similar situation to Penn State, I don't know that they're, you know, in, in the same situation where we're talking about the dire need at linebacker and the guys haven't stepped up, but they're not as good as you would think. So um, I think there's definitely the opportunity for points to be scored in this game. Top, top two scoring offenses in the country, so that's not a surprise. But, you know, the, the defenses, I, I look at both teams and there's certainly holes there. Yeah, you mentioned they're not invincible. Uh, there is an aura around uh, Ohio State. Urban Meyer has an insanely impressive record during his time with the Buckeyes. But let's go back to last year's game, second quarter. Penn State's up by 18 points, and they're getting booed by their home crowd. Uh, let's not give this Ohio State team way too much credit uh, as some kind of Goliath coming in here. The last two times these teams have played, it's been a roller coaster ride. Personally, I'm expecting another close matchup down to the wire. And I think the key here is for as impressive and excellent Dwayne Haskins has been, uh, and I'm not necessarily shocked by that, but, but he has been, you know, soaring in the Heisman conversation. He has never faced a situation that he will see here on Saturday in the whiteout uh, on the road uh, with all the spotlight on. I know the TCU setting was a big one for him, but this is in another realm on the road, Big Ten showdown. And, you know, I think we let's see a little bit of Dwayne Haskins in this setting before we kind of crown him as the next rising star. I think he's a very, very good quarterback, uh, but I think Penn State has an opportunity here. If they can rattle him early, show that they can they can pressure him. You know, we just heard from Garrett Taylor on this media call that I mentioned before. They don't have the kind of attentiveness towards a dual-threat quarterback that, that they've had to invest with a JT Barrett and a Braxton Miller in the past. They really respect his arm, but they don't see the same rushing threat 
at quarterback for Ohio State in this matchup. Yeah, and I agree with that. And I also think that the Ohio State offensive line is still a work in progress as well. I talked to Alex Gleitman of, of, of Bucknuts a little bit earlier. We were talking about the concerns that these teams have. And, you know, that's one of the first ones that he brought up was, you know, there's there's talent there. There's there's good players there. They're not just just not sure that they've come together. Obviously, I think they lose a little bit every year from from or to the NFL at, at a bunch of positions. And that's a credit to their program. But it's uh, it's certainly a situation where, you know, Penn State, if they can get some pressure and I'm not sure where that pressure is going to come from right now, but if they can get some pressure, they can force Haskins to make some mistakes. He threw a couple picks earlier this year. So that's certainly a way to to approach it. I mean, it's. There's the, the, you talked about the TCU game a little bit ago. You play TCU in Dallas. Obviously, you know it's a pseudo road game. It's a neutral site event, but there was also a lot of red there. Don't really think that's going to happen this week. A ton of white expected at Beaver Stadium, and you know that's got to be worth a couple points. I think. I think it has to be. I mean, uh, I think there's a reason that Penn State has built such a reputation for being a difficult place to play. Um, credit to the fans. Credit to the university for, for stepping up and trying to promote this kind of event. Uh, but they haven't lost in Beaver Stadium the past two years. Uh, you know, if they can keep that streak alive, you know, this is going to be a, an unquestionable major successful uh, September to get out of this thing 5-0. and It's not going to be easy, but I do think that's going to be a factor. Neutral field, maybe you like Ohio State a little bit more in that situation, but I think where this game is with a quarterback who has not encountered this kind of setting before, I think there's an opportunity there for Penn State to capitalize it. And yes, I do think it's worth a few points. Yeah, we've seen worse Penn State teams play better Ohio State teams, you know, close in these White Out games. So um, other than that, and the thing I think everybody's uh, listening for, the, the recruiting list, man. I mean, I, I've I've been doing this for a long time. I've, you know, the bar is high for what we've seen from James Franklin in these these visitor lists with the White Outs every year and the Lash Bash and the, you know, the spring game and all that stuff. This one kind of blows it away. This was this is this is a ridiculous list. Yeah, and it's a bunch of official visits. It's a bunch of 2020 guys who are going to be on campus too, and 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 down the goes. And, and I know that you're keeping tabs on this, and so is Brian Doan and Steve Wolfbaum. We got a ton of coverage up on the website right now, uh, but very clearly, this is going to be one a challenge for the Penn State staff. But two, a tremendous opportunity, not just as they look to fill in the remaining slots in their 2019 class, but as they really try to establish the foundation in 2020, 2021. We talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. But this is the kind of experience that you can enjoy with your parents in a setting like this that all of a sudden it's hard for you to shake it out of your memory and Penn State becomes a true contender for your commitment. Yeah, put up the updated list on Tuesday and there's still names to be added. We know guys that are probably going to come that just have to confirm it to us. I think someone counted 179 total stars over the uh, the, the, the 19, 20, and 21 class. The 20 and 21 classes are, are phenomenal lists in their own right. But you look at the official visits. Uh, Penn State will start official visits on Saturday, run them through Monday. Of course, they have the bye week. Uh, next weekend so you get a little bit more time with those guys after the Ohio State game but you've got an opportunity to sell on those guys Adisa Isaac Brenton Strange David Bell I mean they're, they're probably going to have double digit official visitors but uh, and that includes some some pipe dreams Cardell Thomas the LSU commanded his teammate Tyreon Davis um, just the, the, there's guys coming up just to take in the atmosphere that have good relationships with guys like Jaywan Sider um, that, that, that will check things out but you've got an opportunity this is the game that these people have served and, you know, for guys like Isaac Strange and Bell, I mean, this is a tremendous opportunity. Now, if all goes right, you like where Penn State stands with all three of them. And it's important to remember, uh, not just in case of those three players, but across the board, a lot of these guys used official visits in the spring. It's not like 
what we're accustomed to uh, for so many years in the past where you came into the season, you had five officials. A lot of the well is run dry for, for these guys in terms of visits they have to use. So very important for Penn State to get guys on campus. This was obviously the, the major weekend to do that. And I think we talked about Adiza Isaac, and, and you've listed him atop your board, if not the top of the board. I think he's such a priority as a perimeter a defender up front. Um, and then David Bell, what a phenomenal season he has had. He's probably going to have three straight 1,000-yard seasons um, in Indianapolis, and, and now he'll have an opportunity to – to pick his, pick his shot, he's going to end up in the Big Ten Conference, and I think Penn State would have quite the trio of receivers if they're able to get him on board. Yes, absolutely, and I think they'd be pretty happy with that. And, and even Jalen Curry coming up from Texas, you know, another four-star kid. It's, it's funny we're talking, you know, we're just kind of casting some of these four-star guys off to the side just because, you know, there's so much talent coming. You look at the 2020 and 2021 list. More five stars there um, between the two five star five five stars and counting, um, and it's really it's impressive. The nation's top player in Brian Brezzi, uh, the, Julian Fleming has been a constant visitor. Antoine Sampa, five star linebacker from from Virginia. This is an opportunity for Penn State to 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 not really recruit these guys for this for the sense of talking to them, giving them their pitch, and all that, but just let them sit back, take in the atmosphere, and that's going to resonate for the rest of the recruitment. Yeah, and for those wondering, you know, how legitimate is Penn State's chance at Brezzi, number one player in 2020? Well, he was on campus for the whiteout against Michigan last year, uh, and now he was on campus this spring, and he keeps coming back and keeps coming back for big events. Great opportunity to, to push yourself forward in that recruitment, make sure you're in the mix. And, and Julian Fleming, that's three for three now, and we can't understate how important that is. He was at the Kent State game, at the App State game. He'll be there this Saturday. Sure, it won't be his last visit. And as long as he keeps coming back, that's a great, great sign. You've got official visitors coming up from, from Texas, from Louisiana, from Florida. So that, that's one thing in the 2019 class. But in the 2020 class, you have to pay your own way. So it's, it's really interesting to see Midwest guys like Bryce Mostel out of Michigan, Makari Page, who's a teammate of Lance Dixon out of Michigan, Darian Henry from Cincinnati. A uh, high four-star guy. I mean, it's just a lot of guys added to this list that uh, that that make it the best one that I've seen, and, and it's really remarkable, you know, given the relationships that they've been able to build all over the place. You know, Tim Banks in Michigan and and uh, in Cincinnati, Tyler Bowen's done a nice job, and they, they've just. They've had some of these guys on camp, or actually they've had all three of those guys on campus before. And it's just a, another way to get these guys back, soak up in the atmosphere, and, and leave that lasting impression. And a lot of these players also have offers from Ohio State. The Buckeyes staff certainly knows they're going to be in attendance. It's always interesting when things play out like this. Um, and, and like I said, the result of what they see, uh, the kind of way Penn State plays, of the emotion of the crowd, it could carry through. And, and it's not like you're going to see – 30 guys commit in the next week, but trust me, an event like this can be a stepping stone, stepping stone toward that result. Yeah, absolutely. You look at Penn State's roster, and you can you can pinpoint the guys that were at whiteouts and were at big games. It definitely makes a lasting impression. Going to switch gears a little bit here. Going to send Tyler off to the Tuesday afternoon press conference, bring in 24-7 Sports National Analyst Brian Doan to talk a little bit about the whiteout. Doan has been just killing it this week with updates. Uh, I talked to Brian Brezzi earlier this week. Talked to Julian Fleming earlier this week. He's been, you know, filling in with 2019, 2020. Just spent some time in Brooklyn with Adisa Isaac and Jared Harrison Hunt. So he's been just a little busy lately. Don't welcome back to the show. You've been a busy man this week, uh, all over Lions 24-7 with updates everywhere. Uh, but first off, we had you on before the, the Lash Bash in July. You talked about the opportunity Penn State had there. Obviously, I think it's an even bigger opportunity for Penn State this weekend with the whiteout. 
Yeah, I think it's a different opportunity. You know, I know you and I spoke about it, but when you look at it, there are very few marquee events during a season when it comes to recruiting. And this is one of them. I know one of them, you always look at the Iron Bowl is always really well attended. Out in Los Angeles, it's who's going to go to the USC-UCLA game. But the time of this game is perfect for Penn State. A, you're playing Ohio State in, in a matchup of top 10 teams. The billup's going to be for a college football playoff spot. A lot of work to do after that. But it's a night game, which means even kids, and here in the East, this happens more than anywhere else, they play on Saturdays in the East. So if you're playing an 11 a.m. game, you can finish your game, still get in the car and drive out to the whiteout and enjoy it. So for me, this is a perfect setup for Penn State. My only question is, do they have to add more seats because of the number of recruits and their parents that are coming to this game? Yeah, that's right. As we mentioned earlier, a huge list up on the site at lions247.com. Anything that really jumps out at you? I know we we, we talked to the official visitors a little bit earlier. We talked about the 2020-2021 kids. I mean, is there anything that really jumps out to you when you look at this list? Yeah, the quality. I mean... You know, there's a lot of schools that are going to sit there and say, well, we had 150 kids coming to this and 200 kids here or 100 kids. But the quality of the list here, and you look at just a couple kids, you know, getting Adisa Isaac on campus for an official visit is huge. Getting Antoine Sampa, the linebacker out of Virginia, 2020, is a big deal. Brian Bressy is going to be there, the number one player in 2020. Julian Fleming, the number one receiver in 2020. It's not just that you're going to have a lot of recruits there. Sean, I don't know what time you're going to bed on Saturday night, but because of the volume of kids that are going to be there, you know we're going to be up working late just touching base with them after this game. Just no overtime. I don't want to have to wait that long. But that's what stands out to me. It's not just a bunch of kids. It's a bunch of high-quality kids. Yeah, high priorities for the Penn State staff at, at every level. And we'll start you in the 2019 class. You were just out in Brooklyn last week. You stopped and saw Adisa Isaac. You stopped and saw Jared Harrison Hunt. I think a lot of Penn State fans are, are looking to those two guys to help fill out their ranks on the defensive line. I mean, what are you, what are you hearing on those guys? Well, two things with that. I mean, I I think when you say fill out, I think that's right. And I think getting those two kids will go a long way in determining the the success of this Penn State class. You need to finish it off, and you need to finish it off at the line of scrimmage, whether it's those two, whether it's Ja'Kai Moore on offense. But with Adisa Isaac, everybody I talked to there, and I I put in a crystal ball pick for it um, after, but everybody I talked to there say, yes, it's going to be – you know, Penn State, things can change, and that's what the thinking is right now. Now, I, I checked in with his coach, and they're going to make some official visits probably after this Penn State visit. I know LSU is on the docket, Miami, we'll see if he gets to Florida. Um, but I'm curious to see if he gets to that point after this visit. I fully expect him to take more visits. I don't expect him to commit this weekend. But kids sometimes get caught up in the hoopla of an event, and if it goes well, you never know. As far as Harrison Hunt, the defensive tackle out of Christ the King in Queens, um, you know, I've I've thought for a long time it's Ohio State, Penn State. Some other schools are getting involved, you know, whether it's A&M, LSU, Georgia, a little bit. But for me, it's a situation where – it's Penn State right now. If Ohio State turns around and really decides to push, I can see a change there. But right now I'm really comfortable with Penn State. 
Speaking of the atmosphere, you go to the, it's sort of the opposite situation. You covered Darnell Wright, five-star offensive lineman out of West Virginia. He hasn't done a ton, and he's kind of been all over the map, hasn't shown much interest in Penn State, said he wanted to visit, appears to be following through on that this weekend. What kind of opportunity does Penn State have for a guy like Wright, a guy where they're clearly on the outside looking in, but you know, it's sort of a puncher's chance type thing? Yeah, this is a huge thing, and I'm glad you bring him up because I was able to change some, uh, trace some messages with his coach. I'm either last night or this morning. It all runs together. And he told me that they pretty much know the official visits he wants to take, but first he wants to see how this weekend goes at Penn State. So if you're Penn State, knowing he's going to make official visits and knowing that you know Tennessee, um, probably Alabama, probably one of the Florida schools, maybe Miami, Ohio State's in the midst. You know, if, if you're Penn State, you don't want to win the recruitment on this one. You want to be able to get an official visit out of him. Okay, he enjoyed it. He saw the offensive line. He saw where he could develop. He, he gets a chance to talk to Coach Longrove, the offensive line coach, and get to know him better, see what the atmosphere is like there. Um, this is the big thing with Penn State when you talk about Darnell Wright. One of Penn State's strengths is the alumni network. And when you're bringing in this many kids and you're bringing them into a game, you're not going to be able to spend a lot of time with him talking about the non-football stuff. They have to make it a priority for him to understand things beyond football. So if you're Penn State, you go into this weekend saying, our goal is to make him want to officially visit us. And then you take it from there. I, I agree. They're not playing from a, a spot of strength right now, but – that's why you make these visits to make him, you know, understand what the program is about. Right. And this is a kid that really does not enjoy the recruiting process. So anything that you can do to try and open his eyes can put you in a position for a visit later. You got to do. Had a very interesting article earlier this week with Julian Fleming. And he talked a little about uh, not only himself coming to his third game this year, which he followed the visits. That's obviously a good sign for Penn State. But also he's been in touch with Brian Bressy a little bit. So some interesting stuff in the 2020 class. Penn State's still without a commitment in that group. But at the same time, things are getting interesting there. Yeah, it is. And people always ask, when is Julian Fleming going to commit? I don't know, man. If I knew, I'd tell you. Right? If you set a date, if you said, yeah, it could be Saturday. It could be November 18th of 2019. I don't know. It depends how long he wants to take it. Mark it down. But what yeah. I do know is when you're looking at Penn State, and it's always, you know, it's great to write the stories, but it's more important what do they do, not what they say. Well, he's making, what, his third trip to Penn State this season. And I know it's close and it's convenient and all that stuff, but it's still meaningful because he can also sit home and watch TV if he wanted to or hang out with his friends. So there's meaning behind it. It seems like just a matter of time with him in Penn State. And he's a really fun kid to talk to. He's articulate. He's smart. Um, he knows how to have a, a, a good time. He's a fun kid. I remember talking to him one time. I was doing an interview on my Bluetooth, and I told him, hey, my kids are in the car, and all of a sudden my kids and him are having a discussion about Fortnite. Um, so he gets it. He can relate on a lot of different things. And so he's going to be a guy that you want to get him in the fold of your Penn State because he's going to be in Bressy's ear all the time. He's going to be in a lot of people's ear. And I think it's really encouraging that he's coming back for another visit for this game and, and that he's talking to Bressy. And, and recruits talk all the time, especially elite ones. But what's interesting to me on this one is Fleming is not a kid that does a lot of camps. Now, he did go to the Penn State camp over the summer, but he's not a Nike guy, an Under Armour guy with all that stuff. So he's not meeting up with these kids there. So where is he meeting up with Brian Bressy? Always at Penn State. And that, that's intriguing to me. 
going to put you on the spot here. You'd have to say Fleming. You know, there's not much separating their rankings or anything, but Fleming more important than Brezzi in this situation for Penn State? Um, splitting hairs, of course. It is splitting hairs. It depends. If you're talking about the building of the class and what Fleming can do as far as other recruits, yes, without question. He's a PA kid. Um, he loves to communicate with others. He'd be a great guy to have out there. You know, in the recruiting world, and as as the top receiver, he can tell the quarterback, "Hey, I'm coming here. We need you." You know, whatever quarterback they're going to go really hard on. When you're talking about impact into a program, for me, I will always go on the defensive side, especially on the line of scrimmage. I think Bressy is a guy that changes games. You have a receiver. If he's your top receiver, you can always bracket him and show him extra attention. You're going to double-team a guy at the line of scrimmage. It's going to free up a lot of other people to make plays. And, and really, you know, we all know games are won at the point of attack. And so recruiting-wise for the class, Fleming. On-field performance, Penn State getting to a playoff and sustaining that level, Bressy. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the playoff because, I mean, that's what separates Alabama. That's what separates Clemson, Ohio State, those offensive and defensive lines. And Penn State, I think, coming along in that situation. But as we've seen over the first four weeks, still still a long, a long way to go defensively. So, I mean, I, I think that's probably about it. But if you look at the, the success of the weekend, how do you judge that? How do you I – mean, you're not, you're not going to look – Three days after the weekend, you're probably not going to even go look two weeks after the weekend. But how do you how do you judge a successful whiteout weekend if you're Penn State? Um, let me tell you what you don't do. You don't look at the result. That's first. Don't look at the result. Um, a win helps. A loss doesn't kill you. A close win, a blowout win. I mean, helps. A blowout loss doesn't kill you. You look at it based on who gets there how much time the staff is able to interact with them, and you judge it based on, A, how many kids are talking about return visits very quickly, and you you judge it based on the overall feel that a kid gets from being on campus in an atmosphere like that. Absolutely, and we, and we mentioned earlier with Tyler, you look at the roster, there's a lot of guys that attended whiteouts, attended you know big games at Penn State, and Penn State with the schedule that they have, you still get Iowa at home, you still get Michigan State at home, you still get Wisconsin at home, so obviously if these guys are going to set up return visits, that's a big deal for Penn State, and yeah, you're not going to judge by Sunday at midnight whether or not you have three commitments or whatnot. So, but Doan, you need to get some sleep because I'm going to lean on you until Sunday at midnight and beyond that. Been all over the site. We appreciate that. Our readers greatly appreciate the chat that you ran with us on Monday morning. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you for joining us on the Lions 24/7 podcast. We will have you on again. We might even have you on next week to talk a little bit about the whiteout. But thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. I'm here whenever you want it. Well, okay. Uh, We are here when you need us. Uh, We'll be back later this week to talk a little bit more about Ohio State, talk a little bit more recruiting. Probably going to get Steve Wiltfong on the podcast later this week to talk about some things. He's had some interesting picks on the 24-7 crystal ball relating to the Nittany Lions. Had some great notes earlier this week, so check it out. I'm Sean Fitz. That was Tyler Donahue a while ago. For Brian Doan, this is the Lions 24-7 podcast. Check us out all over the place, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you may be. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you later this week. Fly, fly.